Ring Part One Autumn September 5th, 1990, 10 p.m. 45 p.m. Yokohama. A row of condemnable buildings, each 14 stories high, ran along the northern edge of the housing development next to Shanghai Garden. Although built only recently, nearly all the units were occupied. Nearly a hundred dwellings were cramped into each building. But most of the inhabitants had never seen the faces of their neighbours. Any proof that people lived here came at night when windows lit up. Off to the south, the only oily surface of the ocean reflected the glittering lights of the factory. A maze of pipes and conduits crawled along the factory walls like blood vessels or muscle tissue. Countless lights played over the front wall of the factory like insects that glow in the dark. Even this grotesque scene has a certain type of beauty. Factory cast a wordless shadow on a black sea beyond. A few hundred metres closer in the housing development, a single new two-storey home stood among empty lots spaced precise intervals. Its front door opened directly onto the street, which ran north and south, and beside it was one car garage. My home was ordinary like those found in any new housing development anywhere, but there was no other houses behind or beside it. Perhaps owing to the inconvenience for transport links, few of the lots have been sold, and for sale signs could be seen here and there all along the street, compared to condos which were completed at the same time, and they were immediately slapped up by buyers. Housing development looked simply Look, look, has your development look quite lonely? A beam of fluorescent light fell on an open window on the second floor of the house, inside on the dark surface of the street below. Light, the only one in the house, came from the room of Dvorakorsky, dressed in shorts and a white t shirt. She slouched in a chair, reading a book for her school. Her body was twisted in an almost possible position, legs stretched out towards an electric fan on the floor, fanning herself with the hem of her t-shirt to allow the breeze to hit her bare flesh. She muttered about the heat of one one in particular, seen in a high private school, girls high school. She had let her homework pile up over summer vacation. She had played too much and blamed it all it on the heat. The summer over hadn't been really been all that hot. 
there had been hadn't been many clear days. She hadn't been able to spend nearly as much time on the beach as she did most summers. That's what more and what's more, so the vacation was over. The five straight days of perfect summer weather. Irritated to Moko, she resented the clear sky. How was she supposed to study in this stupid heat? With her hand she's been running through her hair. Chimokoko reached over to turn up the volume of the radio. Saw a moth for light on the window screen beside her. They're flying away somewhere, blown by the wind from the fan. The screen trembled slightly for a moment. Above the bug and vanished into the darkness. She had a test tomorrow, but she was getting nowhere. Tomokokai Shoshri wasn't going to relax for even if she pulled on all nighter. She looked wasn't going to be wasn't going to be ready for it even if she pulled away all, all nighter. She looked at the clock and miss eleven. She thought of watching the waves bullspoon wrap up on the TV. Maybe she'll catch a glimpse of her parents in the field seats. Tomoko was definitely wanted to get it. The college was worried about the test. All she had to do was get into college. No matter where, as long as it's college. Even then, what an unfulfilling summer vacation it had been. Fair weather kept her having a really real fun. Oppressive humility kept her from getting any work done. It was my last summer of high school. I wanted to go out and bang, and now it's all over the end. A mind started to stray to meet a target that the weather to vent a bad mood on. What's with mum and dad anyway? Leaving their daughter all alone, studying like this, covered in sweat, while they go gallivanting out to... A ball game. Why don't they, why don't they think about my feelings for change? So I went at work and expected giving her father a pair of Texas to the Giants game. So her parents have gone to Tokyo Dome. By now it's almost time for them to be getting home. As they've gone out somewhere off the game. A moment. Tomoko was home alone in a brand new house. It's strangely humid, considering it had rained several days. In addition to perspiration, a ooze from her body. Dampness in the hang in the air. Tomoko unconsciously slapped her, th- her thigh. But when she moved her hand away, she could no, find no trace of the mosquito. An itch began to develop just above her knee, or maybe just of her imagination. She had a buzzing sound. Moko waved her hands over her head. A fly suddenly flew, flew suddenly upwards to escape. The draught and the fan disappeared from view. How had the fly got into the room? The door was closed. Moko checked the window screens, but nowhere could she find a hole big enough to admit a fly. She suddenly realised she was thirsty. She also needed a pee. Felt a stiff, stifled knot exactly. She felt stifled, not exactly like she was suffocating, but like there was this weight pressing down on her chest. But sometimes Moko had been complaining to herself about how unfair life was, but now she was like a different person. She lapsed into silence. She just sidled down the stairs. Her heart began to pound for no reason. Headlights from a passing car gazed. Across the wall at the foot of the stairs, stairs slid, slid away. The sound of the car's engines fading into the distance. Darkness in the house seemed to grow more intense. The Merco in, intentionally made a lot of noise going down the stairs, turned on light and down the stairs hall. May sighted on the toilet. 
lost in thought for a long time, even after she finished peeing. The violent beating of her heart still had not subsided. She never experienced anything like this before. What was going on? She took several deep breaths to study herself, and stood up and pulled up her shorts and panties together. Mum and Dad, please get home soon, she said to herself suddenly, sounding very girlish. Ah, gross. Why am I talking to? It wasn't she that she was dreading. It was like she was addressing her parents, asking to come home. She's asking someone else. Hey, stop scaring me, please. Before she knew it, she it, it, it she was even asking politely. She washed her hands at the sink, kitchen sink. Without joining them, she took some ice cubes from the freezer, dropped them in the glass, filled it with a coke. She drained the glass in a single gulp. Set it on the counter. The ice cubes swelled in glass for a moment. Instead of tobacco, shivered. She felt cold. Her throat was still dry. She took the big bottle of coke from the refrigerator, filled it with glass. Her hands were shaking now. She had a feeling there's something behind her. Suddenly, this thing definitely not the person. The sour stench of rotting flesh melted into the air around her, enveloping her. It couldn't be anything corporeal. Stop it, please, she begged, speaking aloud now. A 15-watt fluorescent bulb of the kitchen's sink flickered on and off. A ragged breathing. It had a new, to be new, but its light seemed pretty unreliable right now. Suddenly, Tomokoro wished he had hit, lit the switch and turned on all the lights in the kitchen. But he couldn't walk over to them where the switch was. She couldn't see you turn around. She knew what was behind her. Japanese-style room of eight Tamani mats. The British altar, dedicated to her grandfather's memory in Alcove. Through the slightly open curtains, she was able to see the grass and the empty lots, a thin strip of light from the condos below. There couldn't be anything else. By the time she drank all half the glass, a glass of Coke, colour Tamoko could move at all. Feeling was too intense. She couldn't be just imagining the presence. She was sure that something was reaching out even now to touch her on the neck. Well, for it's, she didn't want to think the rest. She did. She went on like that. She remember. She didn't think she could stand the terror. It had happened a week ago. So long ago, she'd forgotten. It was all Shiroshi's fault. He shouldn't have said that. Later, none of them could stop. But then they came back to the city, and those scenes, those vivid images, hadn't seemed quite as believable. The whole thing had just been somebody else's dying idea of joke. Joke to Mania Moko tried to think about something else, more cheerful, anything besides. But it was, it's his earth being real after all, the phone did ring, didn't it? Our mum and dad, what are you doing? Come home, Tomoko cried loudly. But even after she spoke, the eerie shadow showed no signs of dissipating. Behind her, still keeping still, watching, waiting, waiting. With her chance to arrive. At 17, Tomoko didn't know what Chiro was. She didn't know... There were fears that grew in imagination of her own accord. It must, that must be it, yeah. That's all it is. When I turn around, 
There won't be anything there, nothing at all. Moko was seized by the desire to turn around. She wanted to confirm there was nothing there that let herself out of the situation. But that was really, that was, but was that really all there was to it? An evil chill seemed to rise up around her shoulders, spread to her back, begin to sliver down her spine, lower and lower. A t-shirt was soaked with cold sweat. Physical responses were too strong for it just be imagination. Didn't someone say a body is more honest than your mind? Yet other voices spoke too. Turn around. There shouldn't be anything there. If you hadn't, didn't finish your coke and get back to your studies, there's no telling how you'll do on the test tomorrow. In the chaos, an ice cube, cube cracked. Is this burned by the sound without stopping to think? Tomoko spun around. September 5th. 10.45 p.m. Tomoko, go in section in front of Sagoro Station. The light turned yellow right in front of him. He could darting around. Instead, Carrara pulled the cab over into his curb. He was hoping to pick up the fare. We headed for Rokurai, crossing a lot of customers. Picked up there, were bound for Elisike or Rokurai. It was uncommon for people to jump in while I don't like Stop the light like this. Motorcycle nosed up behind Carrara's taxi. The curb came up at a stop at the edge of the crossing. Right, there was a young man dressed in jeans. Carrara got annoyed by motorcycles. Away they wove and darted away through the traffic like this. He really hated it when he was waiting for the light and a bike came up and stopped right by his door, blocking it. And the day he had been hassled by customers all day long. As a family, Kamara cast a sour look at the biker. His face was thin by his helmet visor. One leg rested on the curb on the sidewalk. His knees were spread wide. He rocked his body back and forth in a fairly slowly manner. The young lady with nice legs walked on the sidewalk. The biker turned his head to watch her go by. His legs didn't follow her the whole. Way. His head has sw- swivelled by degrees when she seemed to fix his gaze on the shallow window behind him. A woman walked out of his field of vision. Bike was left behind, staring intently at something. The walk with light began to flash, then went out. Processions caught in the middle of the street, began to hurry, crossing right in front of the taxi. They raised a hand or head, headed for his cab. Kara read the engine and waited, light to turn green. Just then the biker seemed to be seized by a giant spasm, raising both arms and relaxing against Kamara's taxi. But against the door of the cab, a loud thump had disappeared from view. You asshole, the kid must have lost his balance full over for Kamara, and he turned on his blinkers and got out of his car. The door was damaged, he would be intended to make the kid pay for repairs. They turned green and cars when Kamara began to pass by the intersection. But he was lying face up on the street, thrashing his leg and struggling with both hands to move his helmet. Before checking out the kid, though, Kamara first looked at the metal jacket, just as he expected. It was a long, angling cease. Crease and long ball panel. Shit. Kamara's collective tongue disgusted. He approached the fallen man despite the fact 
The strap was now completely fastened on his chin, but he was desperately trying to remove his helmet. He seemed ready to rip his own head off. Process. Did it hurt that bad? Gary realised that something was seriously wrong with the rider. He finally squatted down next to him. I asked, you all right? Because the attentive visor, he could not make out the man's expression, like a clutch of Kermit's hand. To be, seemed to be begging for something. He's on the clinging, Kamara. He said nothing. He didn't try to raise a visor. Kamara jumped to action. Hold on, I call ambulance. Ringing, running to a phone, perfect phone box. Gary puzzled over how small, simple, but a standing position could have turned into this. He must have hit his head right, just right. But the band of his the idiot was wearing a helmet. Right, he doesn't look like he's broken arm or leg. Hope he doesn't turn into pain in the... Ass. Be too good for me if you hurt yourself running into my car. Cried about feeling about this. So he really is hurt. Does even come out my assurance that means an accident report? That means the cops. When he hung up, went back, the man was lying and moving, his hands clutching his throat. So the possible stopped all looking on with current expressions. Kara pushed his way through the people, making sure everyone knew that he'd been he who called the ambulance. Hey, hang on in there. Yeah, Mrs. on the way, come around fast in the gin strap. Damn it, his rock came right off. Kara couldn't believe a guy had been struggling. A guy had been struggling with uh, earlier, her face is still amazingly distorted. Any word that would describe his expression was astonishment, her eyes wide open, tearing his bright red tongue was stuck in the back of his throat, blocking it, while the saliva drooled from the corner of his mouth. The absence would be arriving too late. With his hands had touched the kid's throat, removing his helmet, he felt the hand in front of the pulse. Kalara shivered, seeing he was losing reality. While we on the former motor circle, Phil spun softly. They all leaped from the engine, pulling on the street, running in sewer. But no breeze, the night sky was clear. While directly over their heads, the sunlight, the stoplight turned red again. Kerber strode strictly to his feet, clutching a great ground rail, and ran along the sidewalk. From where he'd looked, once a get more, a man lying on the, on the street, a man's head pillowed on his helmet. The bent at nearly a right angle. A natural position, no matter how you looked at it. Did I put it there? Did I put his head on his helmet? Put his head in his helmet like that? Like a pillow? For what? Do you recall the past several seconds? His open, wide open eyes were looking at him. Says a chill swept over him. Luke Walmeyer seemed to pass over his shoulders. His typical tropical evening. But Commander felt himself shivering uncontrollably.